Good morning. Good morning. We want to welcome everyone as we gather for uh, praise and worship this morning. Uh, as you might have noticed, I'm uh, glad to be back from vacation. Uh, I think I look better than the picture from last week, don't you think? So, so most of you know Dave and I are identical twins, right? So, uh, yeah, I know, I know. We took us years to figure it out. Uh, uh, but it is good to be back and uh, glad to be with you. Uh, and uh, as we look over the course of this week, for those of uh, you, uh, Tuesday, we got partly through Luke 5, so we'll be picking up with verse 17 for this week. Uh, the Wednesday groups on Romans 4. This week is the popcorn and movie night. Um, I never remember which episode we're on. Four. Is it four? Well, I've got two of them, and that you had, and we had I the third and the last So we probably did three and four last time. Right? Okay. Yeah. So we're probably in five. One after the last one. We'll, we'll figure it out. By the it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Oh, because we gave you the first season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're in season three, and we just watched one and two. Okay. Yeah, so we're on three and four of, of season three, because you have seasons okay. one and two. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. See. I leave it to greater minds than my own, right? Uh, so we also have the uh, men's and women's great banquets coming up. I know Rick is going through the men's and Shelly is going through the women's. And we have uh, Amanda and Monica are on the team. Do we have anybody else doing teams are going through? Are you on the team? Ah, all right. And Ron's on the team. So uh, we want to lift up those weekends in our prayers and, and uh, pray that, that God... Uh, that made your day, right? Now you know you're going to know somebody. So uh, uh, if you know of anybody who's interested or have any questions on it, feel free to, to ask them. And let us know. There's, yeah, there's still time to, to go through, uh, get applied if you're interested in either the men's or the women's weekend. So with that, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer, and we will uh, enjoy some time in worship. A gracious and loving Father, we give you praise for this morning and the opportunity that we have to come and, and worship and to study your word and to be in fellowship with one another. And we just, uh, we ask that you would just give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that, uh, that the faith that we hold would not be simply a profession of our lips, but that there would be a conviction that sinks deep into the roots of our hearts. Uh, and that we can just truly be faithful to your call uh, in all that matters of life. So, Lord, we just pray for your anointing on this time as we come, uh, that you would speak to our hearts and encourage us. We pray for uh, just our, our nation and our world in these tumultuous times, that you would uh, just uh, stir a revival uh, in, in the hearts of, of men and women across this land. And, Lord, we just pray that you would reveal yourself and, and bring glory to your name through all things. We come to you now in the name of Jesus, who has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, I'm reading from Matthew this morning, and I'm holding my Bible way down here because I can actually read it down there. Um, <laughs> so Matthew chapter 11, starting with verse 25. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
Thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever, and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. And I say, yes, Lord, please reveal yourself to us through your word. We had a lovely discussion this morning on uh, the chapter that we studied, and we just ask for more. So would you stand as you are able? We're starting this morning with
everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. And we just continue to ask, speak, O Lord. Come to me, all of you who are weary and 
carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give to you is light.
This morning we are reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. I'm reading from the ESV. It's the parable of the sower. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let them hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, why did you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears, they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes, and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, 
This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another, sixty, and in another, thirty. To God's blessing be on the word and Pastor Dan's message. Uh, Lee Eklov shares the following true story about a conversation between Max, who is a first grader in his congregation, and Max's dad. It went something like this. Max, why didn't you answer when I called you? I didn't hear you, Dad. What do you mean you didn't hear me? Max does not respond. How many times did you not hear me? I don't know, maybe three or four times. <laughs> By the chuckling, I would guess that's something you can relate to. Isn't it interesting, the propensity we have to not hear what we don't want to hear and not see what we don't want to see. Isn't it amazing the ability we have to ignore things that we don't deem relevant to us at the time? I don't know about the rest of you. Sometimes I'm driving down the road. I shouldn't tell you the story. And, and you know, sometimes it's like a building. I'm like, oh, when did that get there? You know, anybody else ever have that experience? It's like you just yep. you, we put on the blinders, whether it's seeing, whether it's hearing. There's things that we selectively hear, we selectively see. And I, I would guess that many of us have either been accused of selective hearing, and we certainly probably accuse somebody of selective hearing at some point because we have this ability to catch and miss. A little piece here, a little piece there, to tune out, to put on some blinders. Isn't it, isn't it amazing how we do that? Now, I'm going to say that this is probably ever something everybody's experienced if you've ever been married, right? <laughs> but obviously it's not limited to marriages. This, this ability to selectively hear and selectively see. So, for instance, and, and if you've been in the workplace, you could probably relate to this as well. Don't you love it when somebody asks you a question that you just answered? <clears throat> ever had that happen? Have you ever done that to someone? Right? Or, or they respond quickly to forget, or they become distracted and fail to remember. Uh, you've, you've probably understood and discovered by this point that we're living in a squirrel <laughs> ADD culture, right? That is completely lost. The ability of how to listen and how to critically discern and see what's true. We, we are bombarded with information. We're bombarded with information. Not a lot of it's good information, but we're bombarded with it just the same. And because of that, we begin to tune things out. We become oblivious to things that are before our eyes. Now, theoretically, we tune out that which is less important. I say that theoretically because... You know, just ask the wife who's trying to have a conversation with her husband during the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> Theoretically. As we set the stage for the parable of the sower, we're going to kind of get the sense of some selective hearing and some selective seeing. And as we continue in this point in the chronological life of Jesus, at this point, Jesus has not only been teaching with authority, but his life has been marked by a myriad of not only good deeds, but a myriad of miraculous works. The works that Jesus will later appeal to with, if you do not believe me, then believe the works I do because they witness to me in John 10, 37 and 38. And so Jesus' disciples or those who are following him. They might be scratching their heads by the time we get to this stage in the journey, scratching their heads and, and wondering, why are some of these people just not getting it? Why can they not see what we see? 
How are they missing it? Well, people at times tune out the truth they don't want to hear, especially when that truth is hard to hear, when it's inconvenient, when it's costly. Now, we need to understand that none of those things make it untrue. Just because the truth is hard to hear doesn't make it untrue. Just because the truth might be inconvenient for us at times doesn't make it untrue. Just because the truth has cost doesn't make it untrue. But it does mean that there will be sometimes people who choose not to accept it for whatever reason. As you think about Christianity, it's not about being religious per se, as much as it is about being responsive to God's word that we might be changed by it. Because it's true. Is it hard to hear? Sometimes. You know, I, I don't always want to be confronted with how I'm wrong. But the Bible will do that moment. Is it inconvenient at times? Absolutely. Is it costly at times? Absolutely. You know, we haven't experienced this so much here in America as other parts of the world, but there are Christians who die every day for their faith because they believe it's true. Right? Sometimes it's hard to hear, sometimes it's inconvenient, sometimes it's costly, but it's true. And it will change us if we truly listen and take it to heart. So Jesus says, as we come into the parable of the sower, he says, he who has ears, let him hear, verse 9. Uh, in verse 18, when he starts to give the explanation, he says, here's then the parable of the sower. A little bit later in the chapter, in verse 43, he's going to say once more, he who has ears, let him hear. I wonder if Jesus is trying to get something across to us. Have you ever had somebody who needed to say to you, hey, will you listen to me for a moment? Sometimes we need preface with, hey, it's time to pay attention. It's time to, to listen. Well, this figure of speech, he has ears, let him hear, goes beyond, obviously, the ability to physically hear. Uh, you know, I can hear what Amanda is saying without hearing Amanda, what Amanda is saying, if you know what I mean. Selective hearing really doesn't have as much to do with the ability to hear as much as whether or not we understand and hear. And so I, 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 I thought about this, you know, hypothetically, hypothetically, Amanda can say, you know what, I'm not going to work today. I'm going to take the day off because I'm just not feeling that well today. And hypothetically, I might come back with, you know, Amanda, if you're, not, if you're not working today, perhaps you can take care of X, Y, and Z, you know, which is normally just, you know, phone call this or that. Now, hypothetically speaking, have I really heard Amanda? No. 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 <laughs> you know, I think they were siding with me, hypothetically, right? Hypothetically speaking, not to say this has ever happened. You know, generally, it was just a phone call or something like that. But we all, we all understand the truth, right? Just because you hear doesn't mean you hear. He who has ears, let him hear, is an invitation to go beyond hearing to truly understanding. To, to, to recognizing the meaning of what's said, to humbly accepting it, to recognizing it's true more than just hearing the words, it's understanding. You know, kind of like uh, some of you with their conversation this morning with uh, the Angels chapter four, right? You understand there's more than just hearing the words to understanding them and understanding their relevance. So in Matthew 13, Jesus gives us a series of parables that are gonna teach us about the kingdom of heaven. And the question is, as we come into this series of parables is, will we have ears to hear? Now, a parable is basically a comparison or analogy, right? We'll take a known truth to teach something that's unknown. We'll take something that's familiar to teach something that's unfamiliar. So as you look at the parables, Jesus takes things that are very simple, like farming, baking, fishing, right? Things that are known and familiar to teach things that are 
unknown spiritual realities. In the case of Matthew 13, uh, we're looking at parables reflecting the kingdom of heaven. Now you can find parallel accounts in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 25, and Luke 8, 4 through 18. I'll give you a little bit. Uh, they uh, add a couple of words here and there, a little bit of variances that we'll, we'll hit as we go through the text. But the parable of the sower kind of serves as an introduction for the rest of the parables because if we fail to respond rightly to the word of the kingdom, which is what the seed is according to verse 18, if we don't have ears to hear and eyes to see what is true, then what else matters? Now think about that. We don't have ears to hear and eyes to see what is true. In particular regarding Jesus and the kingdom that he's inviting us into, what else matters? You know what they say about the person who dies with the most toys? They still die. If we're not right with God, what else matters? What else matters? So verses 1 and 2, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. Now this is going to be deep, and this is going to be hard to, to take in, but that, so bear with me, right? That same day links back to the events of chapter 12. Right? So that's, this is deep, deep, deep Bible study, right? That same day is linking us to what just came before in chapter 12. Great crowds have gathered about Jesus. Now, in Mark's account, he says that these crowds are coming from town after town, right? So it's not just the locals. People from other towns are coming because guess what? That same day links us to the events of chapter 12. Well, what just happened in chapter 12? Jesus just healed the demon-oppressed man and made him speak and hear. Hmm. Crowds are saying, is this true? I want to go check this out. So crowds are coming from town after town, according to Mark. Now, there's more to physical hearing than having an ear to hear, but I do first need to hear, which is getting harder some of these days for some of us, right? So due to the great crowd, what we see in the text is Jesus gets into a boat to teach, which is, which is common. We see him do it other places as well. The boat's going to serve as his pulpit. Sound travels better over the water. And the other thing is with some of the land and, and water and stuff, it made it possible, scholars will point out, for thousands to hear his voice, right? A natural acoustic, right? You know, sometimes we build buildings for the acoustics and different things. Well, there were natural landscapes and different things that gave him acoustics where he can teach from a boat and be heard by, by thousands of people. So the crowds have gathered because not only is Jesus teaching with authority, astonishing the crowds, but he's doing so with these demonstrations of power. Like earlier that day, when a demon-oppressed man was blind and mute, was brought to him, and he heals him, and that man spoke and saw, chapter 12, verse 22. Now, here's the thing. You know, facts don't care about your feelings, do they? When you go to the doctor and he says, you've got cancer, facts don't care about your feelings. Or this disease or that disease, right? Facts don't care about your feelings. I'm kind of stealing that from somebody I heard on the podcast. I'm like, I like that, right? Facts don't care about your feelings. Nobody can deny a great miracle just took place. Not even Jesus' enemies. Now that's very important for us to understand. Jesus' enemies never denied that he did miracles. Facts don't care about your feelings, but your feelings can lead you to be blind to the facts, to twist and distort them. So when they see Jesus do a great miracle, what do they say? Well, he does this by the power of Bezabel. Remember, this is the same day as the events of chapter 12. 
Jesus does a miracle. The crowd say, can this be the son of David? The Pharisees hear and say, oh, no, no, no. He did this by the power of Bezalel. Never mind, that doesn't line up with any of the facts. But it is how they're twisting the facts because of how they feel about Jesus. Facts don't care about your feelings, but they do twist. They do lead you to twist the facts. So if you, uh, Jesus either is or he isn't the promised one to come. However, how do you prove that if you're unwilling to evaluate the evidence? So remember, this is the same day as chapter 12. Jesus does a sign. They say he does this by the power of Bezabel. Then what happens? They say, give us a sign. While ignoring the signs that Jesus has already given. How do you prove that you're the Messiah to come if people are unwilling to evaluate the evidence and the facts at hand because of how they feel? So they couldn't attack Jesus' message. I mean, it's kind of hard to attack. Love God, love your neighbor, love your enemy, forgive others, pray for those who persecute you, be generous. It's kind of hard to attack that kind of message, isn't it? And they couldn't attack his works. I mean, Jesus is freeing the demon oppressed. He's opening the eyes of the blind and the ears of the of the deaf, and he's making the lame walk. He's doing all sorts of good. So how do we attack his works? Now, you think these two things would be what we would call a clue. The facts don't care about your feelings, but your feelings can lead you to twist the facts. So we can't attack the message. We can't really attack the works. So what's left? We're going to attack the person. Well, he did this by the power of Bezabel. Or we're going to attack the person. Hey, he's the friend of sinners and tax collectors. We're going to attack the person. Can't you heal other six days of the week? Why are you doing it on the Sabbath? We can't attack the message. We can't attack the works. So we're going to attack the person. The why and the how he did what he did. While we completely ignore the reason that he did it. And while we completely ignore the message that he's proclaiming. So this is the context in which we come into this chapter where Jesus is going to start teaching in parables. And in verse 9 he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Don't just listen to what they say about me. Listen to what I say. Look at what I do and evaluate based on the evidence what makes the most sense to you. Because having ears to hear is not just hearing the words. Eyes to see is not just seeing the works. It's saying 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's that place of where we're coming to understanding what does it all mean. Yeah, uh, you know, I've used this before, but you know the, the saying is kind of simple. Maybe it's a saying, maybe it's not a saying, right? If it looks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, if it sounds like a duck, then it's a duck. You guys have heard it. <laughs> yes. If Jesus is fulfilling all the prophecies, if Jesus is doing the works of the Messiah... If Jesus is teaching the word of God, if Jesus is doing what nobody else can do, if Jesus is a person of impeccable character that nobody could really find anything wrong with, then perhaps we should have ears to hear and actually listen to what he has to say. So his res in response to their response, the people who are choosing not to see, we get verse 3. And he told them many things in parables, saying a sower went out to sow. Now, many of us are familiar with the parables of Jesus. You're probably familiar with, like, the Good Samaritan, the Prodigal Son, uh, the parable of the sower. We're, we're, most of us are familiar with the parables of Jesus. Uh, how many parables have we dealt with so far in the chronological life of Jesus? 
Not very many, right? We are on part 52. I've never done a series this long. I don't think I'll ever do a series this long again, right? But we are on the Chronological Life of Christ, part 52. And we've had a little bit of a parable here and there. I think maybe one, Jesus has not been teaching in parables up to this point. This marks a transition in Jesus' ministry where uh, as we go from this point forward, we're going to start running into some of the parables of Jesus. But this is not how Jesus has been teaching prior to this point. Uh, verse 10. In verse 10, the disciples came to Jesus and said to him, uh, why do you speak to them in parables? Why are they asking Jesus that? Because this is new. This isn't the, the style that Jesus has been teaching. They're coming to Jesus and they're saying, why don't you just talk plainly? You know, like you did before. We didn't understand you then. You really expect us to understand you now? Right? Now, verses 11 through 13 give Jesus' answer. So verse 11 starts, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So part of the reason for parables is going to be to communicate clearly truth regarding the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus will use parables to teach us spiritual truths. He'll use parables to teach us moral lessons to those who are seeking truth. Right, to those who are open to Jesus and his message. So this is the same thing as you might know. I use illustrations. I give you word pictures. I give you things you can relate to. That's what Jesus is going to do with parables. How do I teach you about kingdom of heaven? Well, I talk, talk to you about things that you know and I make a comparison. So it's to reveal the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But that's not the only purpose of the parables. He goes on in verse 11 to say, uh, but to them it has not been given. So on the one hand, the parables will be to reveal truth, and on the other hand, it's going to be to conceal truth. And you might be thinking, well, why would Jesus do that? Now keep in mind, this is a response to their response. So he's transitioning the parables in response to growing <coughs> opposition to him, people who are refusing to see the truth, who are ignoring the evidence, who are making up their own narratives about what's taking place. So it's concealing truth from those who already have refused to see who have already hardened their hearts to him. And then verses 13 and 14 adds one other element to why he's teaching in parables, and that's to fulfill prophecy. So in the parables we see he teaches to reveal truth to those who seek it, to conceal it from those who don't seek truth, as well as to fulfill prophecy. And the question is, is will we have ears to hear and eyes to see? So he says, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Now, there were various farming practices of the day. I found it interesting. You know, I'm reading through different commentators, and, and one will say, well, uh, well, they plowed before sowing, and another one will say, well, they plowed after sowing, and another one said, well, they plowed, some plowed before sowing, and others plowed after sowing, and others said, hey, you know, people debate this, but they had different practices. <laughs> right? The picture in this text is where you sow the seed, and then you plowed it under that's the type, it's, it was called broadcast sowing. The farmer simply scattered seeds in all directions, and then he would plow the seed into the ground. Now, clearly and obviously, now you always got to be careful with those words, right? Just like you got to be careful with always and never, right? Clearly and obviously, this is a picture of God's word being spread indiscriminately among all sorts of people. And you might be asking the question, well, Dan, how do you know that? Well, because this is one of the parables Jesus gave us the answer to. Wasn't that nice of Jesus? I, I, you know, I, I'm preparing to, I'm like, what do I really have to teach on? Jesus gave us the answer in verses 18 through 23. I got to think of something else, right? Because Jesus explains this parable 
for us in verses 18 through 23. Now, why did Jesus explain? Jesus doesn't explain all the parables. But why does he explain this parable in verses 18 through 23? Now, if you're reading Mark's account, or you're looking at Luke's account, something Matthew doesn't tell us. Matthew is trying to protect the innocent, right? So if you look at Mark and Luke, what you find out is uh, Jesus explains the parable in response to the disciples who came up to Jesus and said, not only why are you talking to them in parables, but you're saying, uh, Jesus, what does it mean? Because the disciples don't understand the parable. So what does Jesus do? He gives us an explanation. Being a disciple doesn't mean you have everything figured out. Aren't you glad to know that? It does mean that you're going to seek understanding, that you're going to be a student. Right? It doesn't mean you have it all figured out. The disciples clearly show us it doesn't mean you have it all figured out. But they come to Jesus and they say, explain it to us. And what you see in Jesus' explanation is that the different results will not be in the sower, nor the seed, but the soil. We have the same sower, we have the same seed, which is the word of the kingdom. What's different? The soil. The soil represents the person who either, whether they have ears to hear or not. The soil reflects how one responds to the word of the kingdom. So first we see the seed that falls along the path. Now footpaths were commonly bordering the field. Luke adds, uh, it's not Matthew, but Luke adds where it's trampled underfoot, right? Because that's what people do. They walk on the footpaths. Selective hearing is identified not so much by what you hear, but by what you tune out. You know, that which you don't allow to sink in. So these are the hardened hearts that have refused to acknowledge the truth, who tune out the truth. It doesn't matter what the evidence is. I'm not going to listen to it. You can go back to two weeks ago when we looked at chapter 12. We're going to ignore all the evidence, right? And we're going to make up our own story. He says, the birds come and devour it. That's reflective of the evil one. Mark and Luke will identify as Satan and the evil one, snatching away the seed that's given to us in verse 19. So uh, you might think of it, this is the picture of in one ear, out the other. Hard to be changed by truth that you never gave a hearing to. What's one of the ways that Jesus identified Satan as the father of... <coughs> of lies. You know the best way that you can convince somebody of a lie? Prevent them from hearing the truth. Best way to convince somebody of a lie is to never let them be exposed to the truth. That's what we see in the heart and soil. That's what we see. You know, one of the things that the devil wants to do, he, want, he wants to feed you full of lies. The one thing he doesn't want you to hear is the truth. The truth. Because once you know the truth, it changes everything. So that's the picture of this first hardened soil. You know, the best way to keep you from coming to God is to keep you from hearing the truth of God in the first place, or to keep you from responding to the truth of God in the first place. And so as you think about the opposition that's growing to Jesus, those who have already kind of hardened their hearts to him, if they reject Jesus who is proclaiming the word of God, then how can they understand what God is teaching them through Jesus? Now think about that as we come into verse 12. For to the one who has, more will be given. To the one who has faith in Jesus, the one who has recognized Jesus, more will be given. They're going to listen, they're going to learn. 
All the promises of God are yes in Jesus. We have redemption in Jesus. We have forgiveness in Jesus. We have all the blessings of God in Jesus. We have eternity that awaits us in Jesus. To the one who has, more will be given. But he goes on in the verse to say, but to them, uh, it's somewhere here in the verse, even what he, uh, to, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now Luke adds another element. Luke says, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. For the one who does not have faith, to the one who has not recognized Jesus, even what they have or what they think they have will be taken away. This comes back to the kingdom of heaven is the only thing that has lasting value. You know, everything of the earth is going to pass away. He who has the most toys still dies, right? You can't take it with you. He says, even, even what you think you have, all the world's riches, all the world's glamour, all the pleasures of life, what do they mean to you if you don't have Jesus? If you don't have eternity, if you're not part of the kingdom. And that leads into the prophecy from Isaiah where he says, you will hear but never understand. And you might ask the question, why? He says, for this people's heart is growing dull. It's a problem of the heart. And he goes on, he says, and their eyes have been closed. Actually, this is a fascinating passage because... Uh, oh, how much do I want to say? This is a whole sermon in itself. <laughs> you guys have all heard of predestination, right? Verse 11 sounds a lot like predestination. Then you read the prophecy from Isaiah, and the prophecy of Isaiah po points to human responsibility as well. You know what the biblical authors didn't have a problem with that we often have a problem with? The tension between God's sovereignty and free will. In fact, as you look at scripture, it often balances the two all in the same passage. That's what this passage does. It says there's a sense where they've hardened their heart, so now God's hardened their heart. Right? But who hardened it first? So it starts off with verse 11, kind of sounds a lot like God's sovereignty, predestination. You come into the prophecy of Isaiah, and who is it that closed their eyes? They closed their eyes. <coughs> Now, I can get into all sorts of particulars that you guys aren't going to care for, and it's going to go right over your head with Greek language and, and verb tenses and forms and passive tense and active tense and, uh, and so on and so forth. Right? There's, a, there's, a pan, uh, there's a passive voice in the Greek that means something that's being done to you, and there's an active voice in the Greek, which is something that you're doing to yourself. They close their eyes is something they did to themselves. Right? So, so it kind of balances this whole idea of, you know, They've refused to see, so now they can no longer see. You ever notice how that works? They refuse to see, so now they can no longer see. They've closed their hearts, and they're missing what God was doing before their eyes. Verses 16 and 17 goes into, uh, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see. Jesus is basically saying, uh, he is the culmination of all the Old Testament promises, all the Old Testament prophecies. He is the fulfillment for those with ears to hear and eyes to see. Now, we all know that it takes more than just hearing the truth to be changed by it, doesn't it? So we move from the hardened soil to the seed that fell on rocky ground and the seed that fell among the thorns. Now, when we think of, of rocky soil... Uh, Back when I was in junior high, one of the things my family did was we grew cucumbers uh, for extra money, you know, because, you know, pastors get paid big bucks, right? So we grew cucumbers on the side, took them to the 
Amish market or Mennonite, I don't remember. And, and, and uh, one year, the ground, and we always used somebody's ground that was kind enough to loan us ground to grow cucumbers on because we didn't own any ground like that. And this one field that we had, it was just terribly rocky. I mean, it's like rock after rock after rock after, uh, terribly rocky ground. That's not what he's talking about here. Right? When he talks about the rocky soil, he's not talking about this soil with all sorts of rocks on top. He's talking about a layer of soil with a layer of bedrock underneath. That's why it can't take root, right? So the seeds fall on the soil on top, but underneath there's this layer of bedrock that doesn't allow the roots to go deep. So it sprouts up quickly because it's not buried very deep, but there's also no roots. So when the sun comes out and Luke adds the, the thing that says there's no moisture, it dries up on the sun, right? Because it doesn't have the depth of soil. So that's the picture that's going here. Now you might think of, well, Notice that they receive it quickly and immediately with joy. So think about the person who's emotionally touched. Don't you love an emotional moment? They're emotionally drawn in. Well, I'm excited about the worship. I'm excited about all these people that seem to be happy and cheerful. I'm excited, but there's no conviction that settles down into the heart. Right? So it sprouts up quickly, but it quickly, what happens when they encounter hardship or persecution or tribulation? They're like, I'm not so sure I believe this stuff anymore. It's not worth it. The conviction doesn't settle in the heart. So it's like, it's good when it's convenient. It's good when it's fun. But when it's inconvenient, it's not so good. When it's not so fun, it's not so good. When the crowd is going along, great. But when the crowd's not there, am I really going to stand up for this? Because I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it. You know how you know when you're convicted of something? When you have the same conviction when it costs you something to have it. Seed falls on the rocky soil. Hey, sounds good. Many of the crowds are following Jesus. They're excited because, hey, he's the next best thing just happening, and we want to be in on all these things. But when it comes down to are we willing to suffer for him, uh, not so much for many in the crowd. Right? The conviction's not there. The roots aren't there. And then we have the seed that falls among the thorns. Now, some of you might be thinking, why would you throw seed in with the thorns? Well, remember the seed is sown in view that it can be then plowed. And so the idea would be the seed's thrown in, it's all plowed down together, but then the thorns will grow up with the seed. In fact, Luke emphasizes that even more, that they grow up together. And of course, what happens? Uh, unless your farming is better than my farming, the weeds always do better than the crop, right? Says the thorns crowd it out. The, the thorns choke it out. Uh, Matthew reports that those thorns are the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. If you read it in Mark's account, he's going to add another description. It's the desire for other things, so desire for things other than the things of God. Luke adds in another phrase, the pleasures of life. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out how the cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, the pleasures of life, choke out attention to the word of God. Now, here's the difference between the rocky soil and the thorns, right? The rocky soil is you encounter persecution for this truth, and you're like, I'm not sure it's worth it. With the thorns, it's more of a, the world's luring me in because I like the comfort, I like the pleasure, I like the riches, I like the things the world has to offer. Now, here's the thing. You only have so much time, so much energy, so, many, so much focus, so many resources. So if you're, all your time is spending, spent pursuing the worldly, guess what gets choked out? The godly. 
So pursuit of the worldly crowds out the pursuit of God. Material pursuits choke out the spiritual pursuits. You might call the thorny ground as selective amnesia, right? Sounds good when I hear it, but there's a whole lot of other things vying for my attention. And you know what? I kind of like these things more than I like the word of God. Unfortunately, you'll find a lot of rocky ground and thorny ground in the church today, won't you? People who will come in and like feel good on Sunday, but they go out and they do nothing with what they've heard. Either because they're not willing to endure persecution, or either because they're just more interested in the things of the world than the things of God. So in this case, the immediate distracts from the important. But there's this idea of compete, competition for your attention. Now, Jesus said in Luke 9.25, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Which leads to the seed that fell on good soil and produced grain, who is the one who hears the word and understands it according to Matthew. If you read it in Luke's account, he adds another element who perseveres in it. So Luke kind of adds the idea of perseverance. What good is it if you have all the world has to offer and yet forfeit your soul? If the kingdom of heaven is real, which obviously we believe it is, eternity is a long time. So it's better to be persecuted for the truth. It's better to be persecuted for the kingdom. It's better to be persecuted for Jesus, if it comes to that, than to lose the kingdom altogether. And he says, this is the seed that bears fruit and yields one case a hundredfold, another sixty, and another thirty. Uh, so he gives this, uh, I, I believe in the other Gospels it does it the other way, thirty, sixty, a hundred, so it does it in different order. The, the, the idea is uh, different levels of fruit bearing, right? Uh, when we think about the Word of God changing somebody's life, it, it's more drastic in one life than it is in another. Or you also see uh, one one is more effective than another, right? So. Uh, you know, I, I love the crowd that I preach to, but I'm no Billy Graham. Right? So you see different levels of effectiveness and so on and so forth. I could say today, uh, but I'm no Dave Jasmine. Or, right? Or Sunday school, I could have said, I'm no David Cave. Right? So you see different levels of, of fruit bearing. That's what's pictured for us here. It's the same idea as to one he gave ten talents, to another five, to another two. Same, same picture is what's, what's here. So Jesus says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And we really can receive that as both an invitation as well as a warning. Because Jesus came to offer entry into the kingdom of God. And if you don't recognize what's before your eyes, if you don't understand the truth that's being spoken, if you don't respond properly to Jesus, then you'll miss out on the kingdom. You'll be hardened soil, or you'll be rocky soil, or you'll be thorny soil, but you won't be the good soil. Now Weber writes, and I quote, uh, The distinction between those who have ears to hear and those who do not is central to understanding all of Matthew 11 through 13. In chapters 11 and 12, the conflicts revealed the contrast between those who willfully chose to disbelieve in the face of overwhelming evidence and those who humbly accepted the evidence and respond in faith. And obedience to the Messiah. Now God's word has the power to transform your life. That doesn't mean it will. You know, two people can go to the same church and one person be radically transformed and the other just look as worldly as anybody else. The parable of the soil helps us understand why. One message, the different results depending on the heart of the hearer. 
Some are not open to the truth. Others superficially listen in and it sounds good until there's a cost. Others get lured away by the empty promises of the world. Uh, you know, if I could put this in other terms, it's kind of like a, I used to teach uh, financial peace classes, right? And of all the people I saw through financial peace, I saw, uh, I saw some people who completely ignored it, right? Made no difference in their lives whatsoever. I saw other people who made a difference for a short period of time, and then it made no difference whatsoever because they went back to bad habits. I saw other people radically transform their lives. Because as Dave Ramsey puts it, it works if you work it. The truth only works if you apply the truth, right? Same picture as what we're seeing here in the text. So in Mark and Luke, uh, if you were to read the accounts of Mark and Luke, uh, they'll, they'll offer you another parable to sum up the parable. We're not going to do that for you today. I've already taken long enough. But in, in Mark and Luke, they kind of end this with another parable about lighting a lamp and not hiding it under the bed. And it concludes with, therefore, consider carefully how you listen. So same principle, right? Jesus is it's an invitation to hear. And it's a warning for those who aren't willing to hear. Because we get our light from listening to the word of Jesus, not just with our ears, but with our hearts. So the question he has that he leaves us for with the parable of the sower is do we have ears to hear and eyes to see? Which he equates to taking the word of God into our heart and understanding it so that that seed might take root in our hearts that we might bear fruit for his kingdom. Amen. In your bulletins, you have a communication card, and we invite you to think about how God might be speaking uh, to you this morning, and then we invite you to, to offer that up as, as part of your worship in the uh, offering baskets. Uh, you know, the, the, the parable of the sower and the seed ends with uh, Jesus saying, He who has ears to hear, ears, let him hear. And as with many parables, there's this challenge to how are we responding to Jesus? How are we responding to his message? And, and we're going to see a, par a series of parables in Matthew 13 uh, that follow the opposition that's been growing to Jesus in his ministry among some, not all, but among some, uh, as people are being challenged as to whether or not they will embrace Jesus, whether or not they're going to oppose Jesus, or whether or not they're going to try to remain neutral. Now, if you remember from last week, you can't, uh, two weeks ago, you can't be neutral. You're either with them or against them. There is no neutral. But this parable is designed to cause us to pause and ask, how am I responding to him? Which soil am I? Do I hear God's word and harden my heart to it? Do I get excited about a new truth, a new truth, but not allow it to take deep root? Or do I get easily distracted by the things of the world? Am I more worldly-minded or, uh, or godly-minded? As we recognize who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us through his life, his death, and his resurrection, that we might be forgiven and that we might be reconciled to the Father, but also that we might walk in newness of life, right? That would be fruit, walking differently than we did before. May we invite him in and invite his word to be planted in our hearts that we might go forth to, to live for him. So I want to remind you that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant of my blood. Do this as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Again, let us pray. O gracious and loving Father, 
certainly as we gather here today, we recognize that there's so much that we don't understand. There's so much that we fail to see. So many questions that we would like to have answered. But what we do recognize, Father, is, is our desire to have ears to hear and a heart uh, and eyes to see, a heart to understand. And so we come truly as disciples, we come as students, we come as those seeking to learn. And as we come to this table, we pray that we might not only know the truth that it represents, but that you might allow that truth to take root in our hearts, that it may truly change us from the inside out. And that you would just give us a greater understanding into who you are and into your word, that we might uh, know more tomorrow than we did today, and so on and so forth. Father, we just pray that you would grow us into the men and women that you've called us to be in Jesus' name. invite you to come and to receive uh, the gift that Jesus has given to you through his life, his death, his resurrection, as you seek to truly follow him and to take his truth and his word to your heart. <clears throat>
John 8, in the midst of a lot of unbelieving people coming at Jesus. Um, there's a lot in the chapter before. Uh, this is after the woman caught in adultery. and He has to deal with a lot of the Pharisees and Sadducees and people that are coming against him and accusing him. Um, but in the middle, we have this little nugget in verse 31 where Jesus said, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We cling to that. We know that there is something about just diving into his word, knowing him and knowing his word and having that in our hearts. Um, we have a new song to introduce to you. It, it feels like an old hymn, but it's not. But you're going you're gonna to get the sense of the, of the lyrics here, the, the melody of it. Um, but it's called, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. And just uh, listen to the words. They're, it's just a wonderful, wonderful gospel message here. So would you please stand and join us, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me.
go forth with ears to hear and eyes to see. Uh, I was uh, thinking, this is you know when you get in trouble, right? <laughs> years and years and years ago, uh, when I was at Colfax and Aerosmith, I did a, a sermon. There was basically, there is no such thing as part-time Christianity. And I ran into one of the ladies from the church uh, later that week, probably Wednesday or Thursday, and she said, you know, I've been wrestling with that all week. That is good soil. The Word of God has the power to transform your life, but it doesn't mean that it will. If you don't let the truth take root into your heart, if you quit on it whenever it comes with cost, if you let it be choked out by all the pursuits of the world, then it won't change you. But if you wrestle with it, Take it to heart. Understand it. It will be the best thing you've ever done. And it will produce fruit for his kingdom and his glory. Go forth with ears to hear. Amen.